what's going on guys and welcome back to another episode of building romans empire podcast and today i got a special one for you guys because i have a guest the this guest um his name is mark lane we'll give him an official introduction here um he's got a very unique story very interesting story and i'll kind of give you guys a quick background on mark and then we'll welcome him on the show so mark actually was a factory worker um he started in 2010 he started from nothing um, and he got into wholesaling and now he's doing rehabs. He's doing rentals. Um, he actually, we were talking off camera, how he scaled his business to over a hundred deals a year. And now he's scaled it, uh, back down to doing higher, less volume, higher profit margin. So, um, we haven't said all that, uh, Mark, uh, welcome to the show, my man. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Mark, I'm, I'm super excited about this conversation. Cause I, like I told you off camera, I, you know, I looked at all your Facebook stuff and you, you're doing some awesome, amazing stuff. And I think our, our businesses are very similar, very much alike. And I think our story is similar too. So I'm excited to dive into it. Um, so Mark, and I don't like to waste time, man. So let's get right into it. So tell me, basically tell me when did that light bulb go off and when did you say, Hey, real estate's the way to go. Give me that background story. Yeah. So I would say, you know, it dates back to, um, probably, 2008 eight ish uh i was so at that time i was a factory worker at john deere um working hard i mean i was literally on the on the factory line slinging steel you know i was making the uh what were they called um i can't the, the big till, till tiller machines so slinging these big discs of steel and loading them literally all day long um at one point i ended up having such bad carpal tunnel from the repetitive motion to where i couldn't even hold a toothbrush in the morning like my it, the nerves and everything were sh completely shot anyway um so yeah one uh, it came down to you know it's one of the my first defining moment in, in our lives i think that most people when we have pivotal change we end up having some defining moment that that where the light bulb goes off so that was the first one for me and what happened is um you know, I, I think I like, I don't know about you, but I've always felt that I was meant for something more. And, you know, so doing these kind of menial jobs, uh, it never, it never fulfilled me. Certainly I wasn't living my life's purpose. Um, I wasn't doing anything productive. I wasn't, I didn't have vision for my life. I didn't have any of those things that make us, um, you know, kind of movers and shakers of society. I wasn't doing those things I knew were inside me. I just, they just hadn't come to life yet. And so one day, you know, I was working, uh, I think it was second shift I come home late from, um, we're, we're going to John Deere, come home from John Deere. And, uh, you know, it was probably 11, 12 o'clock at night. And I set my lunchbox down, you know, I go upstairs and my wife at the time and my baby girl, Isabel, you know, at that time she was probably, I don't know, one or two. Um, you know, she was sleeping in bed with my wife and I go up there and sit down next to her and I, you know, just like kind of combing my hands through her hair and just, you know, just looking at her. And, and, uh, I had all of a sudden I had this vision of her growing up to be exactly like I was at that moment. I had a vision of her being my age, working in a factory or doing something, some type of menial job. And I don't mean any offense by that. It's just, it, it just didn't feel right to me. Uh, and you know, I had this vision of her being broken, being desperate, being broke, um, having no direction in life and that vision of her, you know, it's like one thing for us to do it or, and go through those motions. But when we have a vision of our kids hurting, 
Like that vision was so strong to where it, in an instant, I made a vow that I would change the direction for my, for my family. And um, for me, that vision was that, that, that vow was so cellular. It was like, it was so deep that I knew in an instant that life was going to change for us. Um, I didn't know how, I just knew it was going to change. Next thing I know, I wake up the next day and again, I didn't know what was, I didn't know the path that was coming my way, but I knew that, that I was on a path. Like, you know, when we make that mental, that mental flip, you know, that switch, and we just know that something's going to be different. There's not really words that can describe it. We just have this inner confidence that things are going to change. And it's exactly how I felt. So every day I woke up, it's like, I felt myself getting closer to that transition. Um, and next thing I know, probably two, three weeks later, I ended up waking up abnormally early one morning. I was up at like, I don't know, four o'clock in the morning. And I see uh, there's an infomercial, a guy selling his book on real estate investing. And I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. Like I've always, I've always liked watching the shows of flipping houses and all that. And so I said, I don't have a thing to lose. I've got 15 bucks. Like, sure, let's buy the book. So I bought the book and, and, and read that book cover to cover. And and that was my first jump into personal development. Like, I mean, from the time I left high school until that point, I hadn't read anything. So that was finally when I started reading and absorbing knowledge. And I'm like, this feels good. Like, I, I, I feel like something's happening. And so I went and found another one of his books. And I read that cover to cover. And then I think maybe another one. And then that led me into the rich dad series. I ended up finding a book on rich dad, poor dad. And then of course that started changing my, my, um, gave me a paradigm shift and everything comes with that. So that, that's how it started. Um, yeah, kind of the, the pivotal moment of, of making a vow to change my family's life, having a vision of my daughter and then getting into starting to get into personal development. Awesome. Um, Mark. So I want to touch on, um, unpack some of that stuff. Um, you cut out a little bit there um maybe because the internet but basically dean it, it was dean graziosi right correct was that yeah yep. so um good old dean man i think he he paved the way for a lot of us and then um and ridge that poured that so got guys guys that are um listeners that are viewing this and listening like um these are the basically the foundation the foundation if you haven't read like rich that poor dad you, that's going to open your eyes. Just go and read that. Read some of Dean Dean's books. Now, the second thing is what you said I want to touch on is I'm going to quote you. You said, I'm meant to live for more. Um, mm -hmm. I had that eye opening like that, that light switch that went off for me was when my daughter was born too. Yeah. Um, she was, she was just born. And I remember sitting there thinking the same thing. I was like, you know, now I have this human to take care of. I'm, yeah. I'm meant for more. And I, I had a decent job. You know, not everyone has a, uh, the story uh, that you have coming from a factory worker other than Matt Larson. Do you know Matt Larson, by the way? Yep, yeah. yep. same thing. Yeah, same, same story. But um, so not, not everyone has that story. But we all, um, I think a lot of us, especially people listening to this show, uh, a lot of us have those thoughts like, man, you know, I, even though I have a good job, I was meant for more. Mm -hmm. And I know I can do more. So it's, it's the, it's, Take an action. That's what it is. You, you just got to take that action. If you know you're meant for more, take action to get more. Um, anyway, so so that's basically your light bulb moment. And how do you start? Like, what do you do? What what actions do you take to get going in real estate? 
Yeah. Do you want to give me, you want me to tell you what happened with me? Like what action? Yeah. I took? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So mine again, kind of, kind of goes along with this. Like, again, I came from a place of like broke. I, I mean, I, I think I started my real estate journey with, I might've had $500 in my checking account. I mean, there was, it was certain from scraps. Um, so mine actually, so I went to the first thing I, I did, um, that, Eh, pushed me on that path was I had purchased uh, like a, a one day event for a rich dad, a rich dad event. Right. So it's like, it was, which sells you into the three day, which then sells you into more. So I went, you know, I had purchased the, the, went to the one day and then purchased like $500 package to go to three day and got the, the info products stuff back to the room. And I mean, we we're in such a bad place where I had called my wife, um, which now ex-wife, but I had called called her and was excited because I had just invested into myself five hundred dollars worth, and it was probably half of what we had. So uh, like, she's screaming at me on the other end of the phone, and like I can like people on around me could like literally hear her on the other end of the phone. And you know, it was just, it, but it was it was my venture into like believing in myself. So I'm like, man, I gotta like. How how can I get going? I don't know anybody. I don't need, didn't even know real estate agents. I didn't know anybody with money. How like this is this is the only thing I know. This is in front of me. So anyway, did that. Went to the three day event. Um, naturally, I was not in the position to purchase any uh, any education, but I had met a guy there that did, and um, yeah, just kind of maintained friendship. And so I had followed up with him. Um, I don't know, a month or so later, and I was out taking action, like whatever action I could come up with. Like I look back now and I can understand why nothing worked because things I was doing didn't make any sense. Uh, but so he had moved forward with the education, but he was not really the action taker type. He was more the analyzer. And so, you know, he spent a month still trying to figure out how he wanted to make his business cards. And so he said, you know, Mark, um, you know, my dad was, Again, uh, I wanted my dad to be my partner. His dad was like 85 years old, didn't have the energy to put into real estate. And um, he's like, my dad said, you know, maybe I should talk to you. He's like, you seem like you're an energetic guy. Maybe you'd be a good fit for it. And uh, I felt like this was like a gift from God. I'm like, I find like this, all this education. And when I was at that three-day event, like I want nothing more than to have that education. In fact, I called almost everybody I knew that I thought could possibly have the money. And of course, nobody did. Um, so anyway, he made that invite, said, Mark, why don't you come on board with me? He's like, I don't need anything from you. You don't have to pay anything. He's like, it's my gift to you. And we'll just go into business together and 50, 50. I said, fantastic. And so, um, almost right after that, I mean, I, I would say once we started into the education and granted, I had been reading for quite a while. Like this is probably a gap from when I had that defining moment with my daughter to joining forces with him, probably 18 months, to two years. Okay. So a little bit of time had, had elapsed. Um, and, uh, so I said, but I had been learning this entire time. I had been reading all the books. I'd been like, I had this foundational knowledge. I just needed like kind of that mentor, that coach to say, here's the things to do, go do it. Um, and so once him and I started into the education, we had the mentor that was, you know, just doing our, the, the Zoom calls or whatever they did back then. And, uh, and that's all I needed. Like I instantly um, got a hold of a real estate agent, said, you know what, I need somebody to start making lots of offers. Again, this was 2000, 
10 timeframe. Um, tons of foreclosures on the market, not the great, not, not the exact opposite of mo what most people consider a good real estate market, but it's all I knew is the market that I was in. Um, so we immediately went into, and we say, when I say we, mostly me, um, met with the real estate agent said, like, Hey, like I need you to be making 20 something offers a day for me. And so, uh, within a week we launched out, I think like 50 something offers got 11 of them accepted and i'm gonna talk about i was offering at like 50 percent of list price um so i got 11 of them accepted i'm like oh like nobody warned me about this problem like, <laughs> what do i do and so um i end up throwing eight of them back on the back on the market but i had three and next thing you know i was scrambling to figure out how do i make these these few deals work so I called every investor I knew, which, you know, through learning about building your buyers list, I had, I had maybe a dozen or a couple dozen buyers on my list at that point. So I called every single one of them, asked them if they knew anybody that lent money that lends me, that led me to one of the, the main hard money lenders in town, which I still work with today. I've done hundreds of deals with them. Um, so he lent money on one project, hundred percent financing. And then I was a part of Dean Graziosi's real estate forum. And so I was posting on there, posted about one of the deals. I found a guy from out of state. He drove in and wanted to look at one of the deals. He decided to lend on that one, charge us crazy interest rate, but the deal still worked because we had such a good deal. Mm -hmm. And then my partner um, funded this other purchase. It was just $13,000 and he, he was able to write a check for that. So um, we went from nothing to three, three deals practically overnight. And I went from intending to wholesale to suddenly rehabbing all three of these houses um so that took us out of what our plan was to wholesale next thing you know um, we were rehabbing these houses and then we're like okay you know the market's terrible for selling we're gonna refinance these and keep them and so we did that did another one and, and then we just stayed on that path and so we were doing about an average of a deal per month our first year and so at the end of the year, we had a, a decent rental portfolio starting, you know, 10, 10 houses or so. Uh, and then by about the end of that first year, I had flipped one house with him and two houses with another friend. Um, so partners in all those, but all those deals, we made $20,000 plus on each one. So suddenly, you know, with the rentals, I wasn't making anything. In fact, our mentor told us, like you guys need to be paying Mark some type of a salary because he's doing all the work. Like I was working with contractors, I was general contracting, I was writing the offers, I was doing everything. And while my partner was working at Wells Fargo full time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but he thought because he allowed me into the education, like that's all I was ever granted. And so it's reason we ended up party ways. Uh, so anyway, after I flipped those first few houses, finally I had cash in my hands. I went from, completely broke to suddenly holding uh, five figure checks and went from completely broke to all of a sudden having tens of thousands of dollars in the bank. And I said, man, I'm the one that's doing all the work. Like, thank you so much for the education, but I want to go faster. I want to go bigger. And he didn't have that appetite. So I had to part ways with him. Um, he kept the entire rental portfolio, paid me 30 grand, you know, as kind of like a little cash settlement, which I, I really felt was fair for, or the quality of the properties and stuff. Um, so, you know, there I was mm -hmm. on my on my own and now had some cash and some backing. And um, so now I went to 
the hard money lender and I found another lender in town that was extremely wealthy, but he had just lost his contractor. They parted ways. So I saw that in. And so I went and approached him, took my pictures of my before and after pictures, the rehabs I'd done up to that point. And so then we partnered up unofficial partnership. He, he lent hundred percent of the financing. Um, we split 50, 50 and then he, but then he got an initial 6% of financing for this, for lending his money. Um, so from there, I had all the money in the world as far as backing at that point. Like I couldn't run him out of money. So it was more of how many deals could I do? And so we started just running through them. Um, that second year, I, I fixed and flipped probably, I don't know, 20 to 30 houses. Um, you know, we made several hundred thousand, split it. Um, but at that point, I went from $40,000 at a job working 60 plus hours a week to suddenly, you know, making several hundred thousand and having all the freedom I wanted. I was working super hard, don't get me wrong, but I still, it was still on my time. Um, so then after about a year with him, I had more money and more skills. And I decided, man, I don't, I just can't keep giving up 50% of these deals. Cause you know, some of those were starting to get to be 25, $30,000 profits. I'm like, oh man, if I could only have that whole thing to myself. And so I went back to the original hard money lender said, Hey, like, I've got this experience. I've done, you know, dozens of deals at this point. Would you be willing to fund me if I can start doing a few deals at a time? And he said, sure. He's like, obviously qualify you deal by deal. Uh, and started running with them. And so then, you know, nothing changed. I was just getting better, more qualified. My skill set was getting better. And, um, so then I started collecting the full profit on the deals. So, uh, and it just, just kind of kept getting better. How, um, let, let me ask you this. How were you, so basically going to the beginning, the first 10 or 11 offers that got accepted. Yeah. And you guys immediately, you know, you partner along the way with different people, but immediately you jumped into rehabs. This is the question that a lot of people ask me is mm -hmm. they say, I have no construction knowledge. I know nothing about construction. Tell me about your construction knowledge at the time or lack thereof. And how did you work through that? I had just a tiny bit, um, very little, but I had, I had worked as a helper for a guy that did construction, um, years before, um, it was more so like kind of summer work type thing. And I mean, I'm truly, truly talking like a helper. I didn't have any skill sets. I, there's nothing I could have done on my own other than like, I could probably paint the entire, the inside of the house. Like that's it. Um, not using a sprayer, like literally a roller and a brush. I mean, I like very, very low skill sets. Um, but I had common sets. So when it came time, so let's say like one of the first bigger rehabs, uh, I remember we ended up having to replace all the, this, bought this house of foreclosure, ended up having to replace the entire driveway, the whole sidewalk, the stoop, like all the concrete involved. And common sense told me, well, I don't know any concrete contractors. I'm certainly not going to rely on the first bid. Um, so of course, this is back when we had the newspaper and the classifieds in the back and all that. So I called every single concrete concrete contractor in the back of the phone in the back of the newspaper. Every single one. I didn't leave one out. Every single one, and I had them all come out within a two hour time frame. So I wasn't I didn't have to meet people out there day after day. I had them all come out within a two hour time frame. Granted, this was bottom of market. People needed work. That probably worked to my advantage to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, so I literally had uh concrete trucks lined out you know like 
their pickups, their work trucks, lined all the way down the block. Um, I had them all come out with the same time frame. So I'm sure they weren't terribly happy with that, but it also showed them they had to compete if they wanted the job, right? Like they're not the only ones showing up trying to give me the highest price possible. I had an entire line of people collecting, collecting bids from. So I ended up having uh, bids that came in at, I think highest was high 7,000s and the lowest was like 2,800. And so I said to the guy that was 2,800, I said, listen, I'm fairly new to this business, but I'm, I'm picking up some pretty good steam and I expect to have a lot more work in the future. If you can do this job for 2,500 and show me some jobs that you've done so I can verify your work, you've got the job. He said, deal. So he said, I'll do it for 2,500. Go look at these addresses. Here's work I've done recently. I went and looked at them. Work looked good. And I probably, I probably had dozens of jobs with him after that. I mean, really up until a couple of years ago, you know, I started using somebody else. Uh, so like that taught me a huge lesson of the price difference you can have between contractors, right? So never, ever go with one contractor. Um, two, it taught me a lesson of verify people's work. Like, why would I want to hire somebody and I've never seen their work before, you know? Right. And if I do do that, I'm going to babysit that job, you know, hours a day to verify that I, I can see that they know what they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. So still sometimes I'll end up having to hire somebody new, but I'm going to, I'm going to be looking right over their shoulder practically for hours until I say, good, he knows what he's doing. And then I can walk off the job site. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I didn't really... I didn't really ever know what I was doing, perhaps, so to say, but I, I did, uh, I just had common sense when it came yeah. to qualifying people. Um, I always spent time on the job site, you know, to where, you know, I, I, I hear people like wanting to hire a general contractor and then they think they can show up once a week and the job's going to run smooth. I was, I was always on the job site, partly because I loved it. Like I just, mm -hmm. I wanted to be there. So I would, I'd show up. And I still do almost every day. Um, and oftentimes those, those uh, visits are five minutes long, but I still show up just to verify that the contractor showed up, to verify that they don't have any problems that they're coming up against and that the job sites can run smooth. So yeah. it's just been just been practice throughout my whole career. Good. Those are good tips. I, I uh, basically do the same thing. Uh, I show up uh, almost daily. Well, not now, obviously, because I'm here. But when I am back home in Cleveland, um, I'm there as much as I can. And even if it's a five uh, minute visit, like you said, yeah. but at, at the same time, I, I wanted you to tell that story because um, I think people disqualify themselves from the business immediately because they think, well, I don't know anything about construction, but as long as you have common sense and, and you are able to communicate with people, mm -hmm. you know, contracted, you, you're good. You can figure the rest out. That's just how the business goes. I, you and me, we're, we're, we're the same, you know, and all everybody listening, you guys are just like us. You'll figure it out. We started from zero knowledge, um, just like you. So, okay. So um, let's get back to your story here. So now um, you're, you're handling your own uh, rehabs. Uh, your partners kind of, uh, you, you split the partnerships. You're getting hundred percent of your profits now. Um, at this point, the market has changed a little bit. I'm assuming. What are you doing at this time to get these deals? Are you still doing the offers with the agents, or what are you doing at this point? Yep. So basically, all the way up through 2016, I was utilizing the MLS to to pull all my deals. I was occasionally doing some marketing, and I don't really know 
at what time other investors started doing direct to seller marketing. I, I was just never doing it. Um, maybe people that were more savvy caught onto it as, at some point, but I, I never really heard of people doing that. Um, so the people I was trained from uh, were utilizing the MLS. Uh, so that's, and you know, like MLS and bandit signs, like very uh, like effort type activities, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't like sending out 20,000 pieces of direct mail like we do. We don't have any work involved other than sending out the direct mail and then we get those leads, right? So um, a lot more work went, in, went into generating those leads at that point. But it was like self-generated leads. That's that's what it is. It's work involved, work and talking and networking and all that. Um, but yeah, so that went up through about 2016. And at that time frame, um, foreclosures were starting to disappear. All of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden I'm I went from doing deals about as often as I wanted to. You know, I'd had I'd, I'd average maybe a couple of deals a month in one way or another. And uh and then suddenly those foreclosures started to dry up. And I had I had built a rental portfolio of, I think I had a couple dozen houses at that point. Uh, and the only way for me to survive was to start selling my rentals. So I was started liquidating my rentals in order to keep, you know, to pay for you know, our mortgage and everything else, you know, just to stay alive. Um, but I realized very quickly that this is not sustainable. I, I got to figure something out. And I had kind of started hearing about people doing marketing and I said, okay, like there's gotta be more out there. There's gotta be people that have figured this out, something that I don't know um, right now. So um, I had done, you know, hundreds of deals up to that point, uh, not per year, but just over, over time. So I ended up getting a hold of a guy that ran a real estate mastermind and, uh, you know, talked to him about it. And he, so he brought me into the mastermind and so within that weekend, um, that three-day weekend at the mastermind, I learned a lot about direct-to-seller marketing and I gained all the contacts for it. So suddenly I came back and, and granted, because I had made some previous profits in real estate, I had a little bit of cash set aside to start marketing. And for me, I'm just kind of an all or nothing person. Uh, so I decided to go all into it right up front and you know i had had purchased a list through a supplier um and they built a specific to our market and so i went directly into twenty five thousand pieces of direct mail from from nothing um <laughs> and smashed it like we we went in and first month it like i just got flooded flooded with leads and so that we went from almost nothing to I think it was like eight or ten deals that first month went from almost no 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 profits coming in to generating like about one hundred fifty thousand dollars that next month. Um, so I'm like, holy cow! Like this is and but then I within about two or three months and it didn't stop. Like for the next two or three months, it continued. I just had like all these calls coming in as fast as I could take them, and. But I couldn't, I couldn't keep up. So next thing you know, I'm like, okay, well, shoot, I gotta, I gotta hire an assistant to help with this stuff. And so I hired an assistant. She came on full time, and so she was kind of take helping take all the incoming calls, all that kind of stuff, um, set appointments, handle the the transactions. And but then I like I was do, started doing so many deals and going on so many appointments that I didn't have the time to sell the. So I, like I was always in mode when it came down to like the last week of closing i'm like i don't even have this deal sold yet like 
and it was always a good enough deal. So I'd always scramble and try and get it sold. Um, and so I'm like, man, I need somebody to help sell these deals. So I need somebody in the dispositions spot. And so I put that out there and, but she, she was a, also a real estate agent and had had experience in sales, all that stuff. She's like, Mark, I would actually really like that role. Mm -hmm. um, I said, okay, that's great. Now we got to replace you. So I said, help me find an assistant. So we put an ad out there, got a lady that came in as, as to fill, fill out assistant role. And she was very high level um, admin. Uh, I had made six figures plus in her previous jobs. Um, she came in just due to uh, her situation, came in at 50,000 um, and she was a rock star, like, like changed the game for us it, at, at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, but then we st everything still kept moving. And, and so then we started doing like Google PPC ads and those started working for us. Then we started doing Facebook ads, those started working. And then we start, and then we said, okay, well, if the direct mail is working at 25,000 pieces, look, let's go up to 37,000 pieces. Let's increase it by 50%. So we were dominating the marketing in the market at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and, but then I also realized I never, like I'm going on 15 to 20 appointments per week, like way more than a salesperson should. And I never, I, I never ever could follow up with people because I, I was just maxed out on how many appointments I'd go on. So I'm like, man, I need, I need help on the acquisition side. So I ended up hiring my brother-in-law. He came on fantastic fit. Um, and he picked it up very quickly. Next thing you know, he's doing deals. So within a, probably a year's time, I went from just myself and, uh, you know, kind of figuring things out to suddenly building the staff, having office space, you know, building a phone system, like all these pieces got implemented. And it was great because suddenly we were doing, um, you know, I think our highest month was like 16 deals. Uh, you know, we we're oftentimes had two, $300,000 months. Um, but, you know, the overhead went from almost nothing to suddenly $65,000 a month in overhead. And so when we didn't have a good month, we barely made any money. And in fact, I remember we had a, a small gap of time, you know, at the end of one of the years where we had made like $300,000 the month before. And then we went for a couple months of not really having much come in, just the way the closings worked. And next thing you know, almost all of our cash had dried back up because our overhead was so high. And I'm like, man, this bites. Um, and, but we still kept everything going Then started getting into dynamic, you know, like office dynamics and the girls arguing and like just stuff started to happen. And then that leads us into uh, 2020 COVID happened and, you know, we couldn't get into the homes. Um, sellers were, you know, of course scared, can't blame them. And uh, I, so I, I decided, said, you know what? I was also burned out. I went through a divorce, um, basically lost all my cash in the divorce. Uh, it was a $500,000 settlement, uh, office dynamics, COVID. I just wiped it clean. I said, I'm, I'm done starting over. I, I can't handle the stress anymore. So went back to just my, my oldest stepdaughter at the time had just graduated college. She came on as my new assistant and I went and I was handling, went back to handling all the general contracting, handling all the sales appointments. We decreased our marketing down to just our direct mail, which was very manageable. And we've basically stuck with that system since. Okay. Wow. <laughs> a lot to unpack there, man. 
Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. You, you know, your your story. It, I hear the story over and over again from numerous people. Mm -hmm. It's it seems like that's just the uh, progression. And I've been to in a similar situation uh, as you just described, where you're kind of up here, you're scaling, and you're like, oh my goodness, uh, I can't believe 60k a month is going out. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's unbelievable. But yeah, man, that's crazy. So let me let me ask you during the height the peak of your like um where you were crushing it from the 16 to 20 right right around that time where you got staff what did your business look like was it straight wholesaling or were you actually doing flips at that time as well we were just still doing a little bit of everything so we were probably 80 percent plus wholesaling maybe 90 percent uh we would take a flip we really didn't we weren't really weren't trying to flip it more be like if if we is either wholesale or an intended rental and then when we get done with that rental if numbers didn't look good to rent if basically if we had to feed it cash in order to refinance it then we didn't want to do that because we wanted to keep cash in the business mm -hmm. so if that was the case then we would just sell it and sell it retail gotcha um at, were you building your uh, rental portfolio at that time also because you did mention you had a couple dozen properties by that point yeah so i had up through, I think it was 2016, 17, when I started selling rental. And I, so I had started wholesaling back in, I skipped over that, but I had started wholesaling back in probably 2013, 14. So as my skill of wholesaling got better, uh, I, I, you know, that's when I really started making more money. Mm -hmm. um, and so at one point, yeah, I think it was 2016, 17. Um, it was generating enough to where I was fo fully focused on sales and, and I, I really wanted to become debt free. And so I, like, as I was liquidating those rentals to both stay afloat, I had, you know, that I bought a lot of those at the bottom. So the next thing you know, they had big, big cushions in them. And so I started letting these go, wish I had it now, but, um, but I, within basically a year, I had generated enough cash to pay off my house and had about 250,000 cash in the bank. So I was sitting in a pretty nice position um, to where it felt, I felt good. I felt qualified to start hiring staff and building a team. Mm -hmm. And that's when you hired uh, that first, your first position. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. All right. So um, COVID happens. Um, you decide to shut everything down and you hire um uh who, who'd you hire again that was my my oldest stepdaughter uh yeah so That's she right. she had just graduated college and she so wanted to... you hire your uh oldest stepdaughter and you basically re like restart not from the beginning because you have the knowledge but you kind of you scale it back down and you i, I don't want to say start from scratch but you basically started the business from scratch with the knowledge that you already have right how um what made that shift i mean you talked a lot about this you you said you know the office dynamic the 60k a month that was going out the overhead's crazy uh, and obviously COVID played a huge factor but talk about your thought process there scaling the bag down starting over with no overhead like what, what were you thinking why did you why did you do that well i would say at that similar time frame so we're in 2024 so i would say like 2000 2018, 19, something like that. I, I also started getting a lot more focused on building my wealth, not just making money. Um, because 
I, you know, up to, I, I'd say probably up to that point of paying off my house and, and starting to like build rental property, like up to that point, I had made a lot of money, you know, wholesaling and flipping and over and over again. And I really had nothing to show for it. Mm -hmm. uh, just cause I didn't know how to manage money. You know, I, I had built a skill of how to make it, but I didn't have the discipline of how to keep it. And I certainly didn't have the wisdom of how to make it grow. So I had made all this money and really didn't have anything to show for it. And so I started really digging deep into understanding how people become wealthy. And the main thing I figured out is that they, they figure out how to, how to keep it. Right. So I had figured out how to make it. I didn't understand how to keep it. And so we kind of went down throughout the journey. Uh, and so as I was one studying wealth and how to build wealth at that same time is when all these transitions happened in the business. And, you know, so once it kind of like, I finally hit that place 2020 and everything started to blow up, you know, also got divorced. I lost a lot of my wealth, like all these things happened. Um, I also realized there was a few dynamics that played a part one. I didn't want a business of stress. Like that's not why I, that's not why I quit my job. That's not why I went into business for myself. I went into business to, to give myself peace and to like build something I loved and to like have a place I wanted to go to every day, like all these things. And it was the exact opposite. I didn't look forward to going to the office every day and having all the office dynamics. I didn't look forward to the management side of the business. Like I liked, the sales. I liked the hustle. I liked the, I liked doing deals. I didn't want to manage. Um, so it, it's just all these different dynamics. And then when I started looking at the overhead, I'm like, man, you know, it's like, we're, it's so hard for us to, to really get ahead because we, you know, like got so much going out the door every single month. Um, so that, that all those pieces played a part and I finally decided, you know what, like I, I now have, the skill sets I didn't have before. I understand marketing. I can constantly generate these leads. Um, I understand how to sell them. Like I, I have all the skill sets working in my favor at this point. I can do this and I can scale back and I think I can do even better. And I did. So we, we scaled back um, and I think it was the first year, first or second year of going back to just her and I, uh, we made double what we, netted double what we'd ever made with the big team and why is that explain why um well i still had the hustle and i like i and i knew like i could do better you know my, i could i could handle the sales role better than my sales guy could i had like my, my skills were just better there i could sell the deals better and faster than what my dispositions girl could because my skills were better so as a team we could do more volume naturally because we have people playing in different roles but as the, the, the skill sets by themselves, I was far better at those individual skill sets than they were. I just had more, more time and experience. Um, so I could do less deals and have bigger spreads. So when we were, when as a team, our spreads were averaging 11,000, right? So probably a mix of our dispositions, not selling hard enough, our, our acquisitions, not getting the deals good enough. So our spreads went from 11,000 to when it was just the two of us, they jumped up to 21,000. So our spreads almost, literally almost doubled, which, I mean, you change, and then, you know, you, you decrease the amount of overhead. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that, those dynamics change the business real fast. 
and the amount of trans transactions you, you can yeah. literally do half yeah, exactly you know, that's what we did yeah we went from 100 plus in 2019 down to 50 and then down to like 40 like we've actually done less and less deals each year since mm -hmm. um and yeah we're now focusing you know we're starting to focus more a little bit on like higher quality rental properties and that you know so our strategy is changing a little bit but we've we've taking been taking less we're taking more off our plate every year as opposed to putting more on it yeah yeah that's uh that's awesome man because i have a very similar story and i'm in a um, similar position as you are where i'm looking to scale down and i'm, and I'm looking for the bigger opportunity and not only the bigger opportunity i'm looking for something that does not create friction in my life um right. and i think that that's um ultimately where i think everyone wants to be just kind of uh yeah. playing the higher level game pulling the strengths from a higher level creating bigger leverage opportunities so um for people that are listening like you've been through the curve you the learning curve of, of not knowing nothing scaling up and then scaling back down and then now making more money than you were when you were scaled at at your peak um yeah. what advice can you give to listeners or people that are starting off and, and they say, you know, I want to skip that. I want to skip that curve where, where I mess things up and I have a $60,000 per month overhead. Like, what are you doing now? Give us some actionable stuff. Like what can, what can people take from you, learn from you? Especially? Well, I don't know if this is terribly actionable, but I would say, um, and this is like, anytime I've, I coach somebody, this is the same, the thing I go over first is what's the vision for your life? Like, what is the vision for your life? If you don't know it, develop the vision. Sometimes we have to take the action, we go out, we do things, and then as things progress, we kind of we kind of end up you know, figuring out what our vision is. But I think most of us know deep down the things we want for our life. Some people want big and crazy and lots of moving parts. They want billions of dollars. They want you know, a staff of a thousand people. They want that because that fulfills them somehow. And I think others don't like we want we want simplicity. Um, maybe we want to have our our name out in the world. We want to make a difference in some way. Um, some people really want to be debt free. Some people some people don't care about that. So I would say define the vision for yourself, and then and then you know really start working towards to, towards living that vision. So like when I built this out, I had the vision for my life of like, this is the, the things I want in my life. This is what I want out of, out of a wife. This is what I want. This is the relationship I want with my kids. Like this is what I want out of my health. This is what I want out of my finances. Like I put all these pieces together and I also created, you know, kind of like my perfect day. What does my perfect day look like? That if I had any, everything I wanted, this is how I live my day. And so I'm always kind of looking back at that of like, how, how close am I? If I start veering off, and next thing you know, I start getting a little bit overly ambitious and doing things that aren't in my vision, then I'll kind of just requalify things. Be like, okay, well, has my vision changed? If it has, that's fine. Like we just need to redefine it. So, um, you know, for me, it's just putting those pieces together of living in a way that's congruent with the vision I want out of my life. I love that advice, man. I did the same thing actually, um, what you just described. I created my perfect day I talked to my wife about it too. I'm like, all right, what's your perfect day? So let's create a perfect day for both of us and then let's have our visions aligned. And so that uh, having that vision is so crucial, so crucial.
Yeah, it's kind of like your uh, your north star, right? It's like you know yeah. something that's yeah. constantly like point, you know, that's like this direction of, yeah. you know, if this is really what I want out of my life, it mm. allows you to say no to almost everything. Yeah. So yeah. And that's that's I would say that's what it came down to is once I had this this guiding light, um, all this other opportunity that was in front of me, even though yes, there's millions of dollars out there to be made. That I understood that, that wasn't necessarily going to make me any happier. Um, in fact, it was going to pull at me more than it was going to bless me. You know, so I'm mm -hmm. like, so I could very easily say, I don't want that. Like, it's not there. Yeah. I don't get any benefit from it. I, I think you have to come to that realization yourself. You and me can talk about this and tell people all day long that you know, have making more money is not going to necessarily make you happier. Have a vision for your life, blah blah blah, and it's in one ear out the other because they have to experience it to understand it. Um, and yeah. we've been through it so we can talk about it. And I also think it's important to kind of always work on that vision and on your goals lists or your perfect day, because that mm -hmm. changes as as you grow up in the business. And as you start making more money, you realize that 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 changes. Yeah, um, absolutely. So um, let, let's talk some action stuff here. So I, I want to kind of dissect your business now. So the, the question I was getting to earlier, like a couple of questions back, I, I, I wanted your opinion advice and input on how to skip that learning curve is let's talk about let's dissect your business now what are you doing that let's start with marketing okay what are you doing now on the marketing side to get leads so right now as we speak all i have going is direct mail so i send out about between 20 to twenty-five thousand pieces every six weeks and that gives us the, the necessary amount of deals that we need to do so again because i'm only doing you know, if I have 40 deals a year, um, our average wholesale is 20,000. Um, you know, of course we've got a few flips in there. We've got some rentals in there, but you just figure that's a, that's $800,000 a year. And we have very little, very low overhead. So like, I don't need any more than that, you know? So I, I, it, to me, I looked at like, what's, what's the marketing outlet channel that I can use to, to get me as much as I can get out of it and nothing else. So, and it doesn't matter what the thing is. So, and some, some people say, well, that's, that's Google AdWords for them. Some people say it's direct mail. Some people say that's cold callers. For me, um, direct mail has just been a very thing that we could stick with and be very consistent with. Yeah. So how much are you spending? Uh, so 20,000 uh, every six weeks, how much are you paying for the 20,000 every six so weeks? So our list costs us 14,000 a year, uh, split into two payments. And then our actual outgoing direct mail costs, I think, of course, depending on what kind of piece we're using, I, I'd say average about $10,000. For the year or per list? Uh, no, per every time we send it. Every, so. Per, okay. So every six weeks. So yep. if you don't mind sharing, let's keep going down this list. On on the list part, uh, what do you use? Are you using the service? Are you using list source? How And what kind of lists are you pulling? So I use um, Audantic Targeting. Uh, that's the, you know, what I've found to be the best, you know, I've tried all kinds of different list providers out there. Um, you know, and that was, that was one of the contacts that came from the mastermind. Uh, you know, what, what I've, and I think the reason I always struggled with direct mail before or any you know, list in general is that I never had confidence in the list. Right. So, um, when I used to use like list source, for example, I would pull a list of, let's say like seniors and I get a call from some, it's 35 years old. I'm like, 
like no and so like i see those types of things and or i get i pull high equity and i get a call from somebody that has no equity so i lost a lot of faith in in a lot of the list um companies or sources out there so this is a company where they literally have people that pull this information as opposed to just having it connected to county records or whatever some of these list sources have yes that, that's crucial you know i've been through a couple of lists myself so uh, let's stay on that topic. So what have you tried and said, you know what, um, like you mentioned list source, like it, it just doesn't work, or maybe the, the data is not accurate. What other uh, lists or methods have you tried? And you said, you know what, um, don't waste your time. Let's what, like, yeah. can you got, give um, any advice? Yeah. So, so I didn't have much luck. I did, and I did like, I would say I was still positive with list source. I still got the deals from it. It just didn't, mm -hmm. it didn't play out as, as well as I'd hoped. Um, uh, yeah, list source, what other ones? Um, yeah, if you can't think of any, no big deal. I was just wondering no, if, no. yeah, I wouldn't really yeah, say I, there's any, this were like awful. Cause I mean, really, how would you know? Like there's just, and, and, and granted looking back at that time when I used those lists, I also didn't do high quantity. So, you know, if you send a list of a thousand pieces to a let's say a, a, a decent list you might not get anything back because it's mm -hmm. only a thousand pieces you go up to twenty thousand plus pieces and then those no matter what list you use you're probably going to get some calls just because of the quantity that you're doing exactly so, so yeah you, you, it's the it's the volume it's you it, gotta, it's big piece. yeah 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 um okay so now you're sending this out uh calls are coming in how are you doing the phone system, the routing or call rail? Like, how do you have that set up? Yeah, we have we have call rail set up. So yeah, set up that goes uh, all the calls go to my assistant, and then if she can't answer within three rings, then it goes to me. So I probably get, I don't know, maybe I might get a, in a couple calls a week that go to me or something. So usually I get them on the excuse me either after hours when you know because she stops at five, but I I work you know as much as necessary so i'll fill those calls i don't like them going to some call answering service or something that you know it's just not gonna portray our business well so it's limited enough calls to where i don't have a problem taking them yeah yeah and i agree with that they have to be answered live and no matter what time of day it is they, they have to be answered live we, we do a similar setup uh that you just described um what about uh, sending calls to a uh, voicemail. Have you done that or experienced, have any experience with that at all? Um, so we used to use Google voicemail. Um, I didn't like it. I always, I always push my students away from it. Um, again, because you know, you're sending them to a voicemail. Like, Oh, I always believe in answering those live. Like you're paying, you're paying for those leads. Don't allow them to escape by going to a voicemail. Uh, we, the only thing we do now is we, in our call rail, we have that split where when they come in we have, we have the automated recording that answers first that basically tells them if they want to be removed from a list, then they can push, I don't know, one, then they, then they can enter their information and we can remove them from the list that helps, uh, you know, my assistant not field all those angry calls. And mm -hmm. there's still some people that feel like they need to tell somebody, but, um, most of them just exit themselves. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, okay. What about, so your assistant takes the call, right? And then, uh, does she put them through like a sales process and pushes it directly to an appointment or how, what's that process like? Yep. So, you know, we're, we're not overly 
I'm not overly strict with like making sure she says the right thing and all that. It's like, she's, she's been doing it a few years now to where she's comfortable and, you know, asks for, asks for their information, records it into the CRM, um, and sets the appointment for me. So, um, you know, normally if she feels like, okay, this person's pretty motivated, she'll, um, she'll put on the in, inside Google calendar of like, you know, I, this person seems highly motivated, something like that. Um, so we just have that communication. Again, I think that's part of having a small team is you can have that, that intimate, easy communication of like, Hey, this person sounds really motivated. This person sounds really upset. Like, you know, I can kind of have a little bit of insight going into the appointment of what's going on. Cause yeah, you know, we just have that easy communication. Gotcha. And so she has access to your Google calendar and you see the appointments pop up and all that. Yep. yep. Perfect. Good. So, um, so you go to these appointments, do you lock them up right there or does she negotiate the price before you even go to the appointment? No, we have a rule of thumb that we don't over qualify the appointments at all. Um, and we have a rule of thumb because I've, I've had enough appointments in the past where they started off wanting some crazy price. And by the time we're done, whether at that appointment or later, they're half of what they started at. So we have a rule of thumb of like, never, never overqualify the, the lead. Like they're calling, we're paying to get these leads. We go on every single appointment. So yeah. um, she, she schedules every single appointment. Um, we always try to schedule it as quick to as close to the call as possible. If the person will allow, we'll be out there the same day. Um, so we try to get to the appointment as quickly as possible, just to hopefully eliminate the need for, for them to call anybody else. Um, and so, yeah, I go on all the appointments and um, I, I would say 95% of the time I make them an offer right there. Um, about the only time I don't is if I just can't get that information out of them that I need to. And it's kind of like they're, they're hiding it or they, you know, the, I can tell that they're just fishing for offers. They're going to call everybody that they can find. I won't make an offer in that situation because I'd rather try to come in at the end and get it rather than them using my offer to try to get everybody else to give a better offer. Exactly. See, so, you, you know, I talk about this all the time is the actual, the appointment, going to the appointment, having that communication with the seller, creating that connection, and then getting the information you need out of them to yeah. be able to make your offer. So can you give us any uh, tips or pointers on how you do it? Um, man, I could go into a long, long spiel about this. Um, <laughs> one, so one of the things, yeah, one of the things to, to recognize, you know, one of the um, persuasion tactics, if you read like, you know, the books like Influence and Persuasion is that reciprocity is the number one um, tactic for, for influence. So, you know, one of the things we can do is like, is, like when we go to their house on the appointment is bring them a gift of some sort that automatically puts them in a state of feeling like they need to give something back they automatically feel some type of loyalty or something to our, to our business. Right. So it's like, that's a really, really easy trick. Um, uh, you know, he bring, take some type of like little, little pie from, uh, some, a deli or something like that. You get those little ones for a couple bucks and you know, you, you do those on each appointment. It costs you almost nothing, but you'll drastically increase your conversion. Something mm -hmm. super simple. Um, you know, another thing is we have like very, well, a lot of these people might not, be, might not be watching the video, but we have like very professional type folders 
uh, you know, all of our stuff is looks well. It's uh, it look it's very congruent, branded. Um, that just gives us the look of professionalism, and it's not the look that we are. Uh, so you know, we come in with branded T-shirts, branded folder, branded business cards, branded magnet. Like all of our stuff is congruent. Um, so that just sets the stage for us of okay. I'm dealing with somebody that's professional. I don't have any reason to doubt these people. Um, and so then on top of that, when I go in, I will always just kind of set those, set the expectations of what they can expect for the appointment. So I said, hey, I'll, I'll walk in. Because a lot of times you walk in and the seller, they don't know what to expect. They're just kind of like, oh, like, do you just need to look at the house? They like, sometimes they'll say these things. So I always, am staying in control of the conversation the entire time, like sales 101, like stay in control of it. So I'll walk in and I'll say, hey, like, do you mind if we sit down and we can talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what you're going through? And I said, and then I can kind of tell you a little bit about what the appointment's gonna look like and, and what you can expect at the end. So we'll sit down, we'll, we'll talk, and I'll just kind of ask them, even though my assistants already fielded all those questions, I ask them again, just to hopefully get, get them in the frame of mind to talk about their problems. I want them to be problem focused at that at that time frame. Um, so I get them to talk about their problems all over again. And then I'll say, great, like, why don't we take a look through the house? I said, just kind of show me room by room. If you would like point out anything that you've that you've done to the home that you feel like has improved it. And also please um, just point out anything that you know is a defect with the home that is gonna really need attention. And so that, helps them start talking about the negative things in their home that and which brings down the value you know so on so we get through and then we uh after all that then we say okay let's you know now we you know we got to talk about the numbers so start talking about the numbers and of course i always ask them what do you feel like you need to get out of this what do you need to get out of this like i'll say what, what do you want like of course always somebody's always gonna throw out a high price when you say what do you want i say what do you feel like you need to get out of this and at, no matter what they say, I reiterate, okay, I appreciate that. Now I'm gonna ask again, like sometimes we want a price and then other times we need a price. Like, is this something you actually really need to get out of the home? So I kind of will um, talk about that a couple different times and then we will get into, um, then I'll kind of get into my offer and then I'll, I'll justify like why my offer is what it is. And then I'll kind of use that and I'll give them more of like a retail price of like, if you were to go through a, re a, a real estate agent, if you were to fix up your house, if you were to list it, like here's all the costs that would go into it. And here's um, here's the difference of like where we're at. Ideally, if I can, I'm gonna justify and show how I might only be a few thousand dollars apart. And if you can sell now and for just a few thousand dollars difference and avoid all the headache, why would you wanna go through all that work? Yeah. So yeah. really justifying it all. I like that. So yeah, you got a pretty good process dialed in. Um, and I like that you give them all the different options because people really need to see that. I feel like if, and, and also when you give them the options, they feel like they're choosing an option instead of just choosing what's given to them, which is only one option, right? But when you kind of put that on paper, especially you say, Hey, look, you listed with an agent, you're going to pay commission fees. You do this. So, well, you're going to have to do an inspection and, so you kind of, um, so I, I like your, your process there. Um, I also saw, I think on Facebook that you, you, your car's wrapped, uh, fully branded. Um, yeah. why'd you decide to do that? Um, and has, is, did you notice that any, did that bring in your leads just driving around town? 
It really doesn't. Um, I've had that question before. It, I feel like it's good for branding. It's good for uh, recognition. Um, people people see me and know me all over town. Um, you know, one just being in the business, but they can identify me. Like when I'm driving that around. I mean, it's a you know Dodge fifteen hundred. Um, so yeah, fully wrapped out. Uh, so they just know they see me. Um, and some people say that like that can actually hurt your sale when you drive up and you're in the driveway because it might like if they're in any type of situation where they like don't want people to know that they're gonna be selling their house then obviously like you're kind of showing up as we buy houses so i don't know i don't think it i don't I, i've never seen it have any type of detrimental effect um I, but i also almost never i never get calls on it i mean i had i had an acura many like when i first started that had a sign on the back window i think i got like two deals from that i mean it was a hundred dollar sign on the back that just a decal on the back window um you know but that's over the course of several years so i'll probably get a deal or two from this over the course of several years so it will it pay for the cost of advertising and possibly the vehicle probably if i keep it long enough but it's not mm -hmm. anything that generates much um more so just for just for overall branding so when we went it, we rebranded just last year, beginning of last year, um, which I think is an important thing to, you know, to touch on that when we start into business, a lot of times we don't even know what we want our business name to be. We don't have a brand built. We don't, we don't know what our message is going to be like any of that stuff. Um, whereas as we progress, we start to figure out, okay, like here's the values I want in my business. Here's, here's what I want to be known for. Here's like my pro the promise I can offer, all these different things. And so as we progress, we've just kind of redeveloped that that name and that brand over time. So last year we finally changed it to something that I think will be permanent. And because we felt so good about it, we went pretty heavy on our you know our logos and our graphics and our branding throughout all of our stuff. Hmm. That was, yeah, that was thirteen years in the works. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, the branding is important. And then, you know, you keep that. It's an overall big picture. Um, it's a big picture thing. You know, you got to keep that professionalism. I'm big on that as well. Um, I always have my company hoodies or shirts and, you know, even my construction crew, they, they're they all wearing the same type of stuff. So we look more yeah. professional. Um, right. Okay, so what about um, like uh, your your flips right now? Are you still flipping or is is are you straight wholesaling right now? Yeah, I still flip. In fact, I've got one going on right now. Um, I just, I've got a lot more selective over the last couple of years. Um, and I think it's because our, you know, our wholesales are now producing what our, what our flips used to. So when we make a $20,000 wholesale, it doesn't make a sense to do a flip and make 30,000. You know, I'd, I'd rather just wholesale it and make 20. Um, so now I really only, I, I generally only flip if I feel like I've got a very nice profit on the backside and I'm talking like shooting for like 50,000 plus mm -hmm. um, in my market, that's not terribly easy to get. So it means we don't flip that many. So I might, I might try to flip a few per year. Um, and that's about it. What's your, uh, like in your market, what's your average price point? Um, I would say I mean, average price point now, I, I don't know. I'd like maybe high two hundreds, now, maybe probably maybe high two hundreds, low three hundreds. I'm talking average price price point across like all real estate. Yeah. Um, my I, like we focus on um, like the rentals we do are now getting into the 
three three hundred to three fifty range. We've got a couple that are valued a little bit higher than that. So those are those are pretty high end rentals for the market. Most people don't get into the the higher end stuff. Um, so we're doing we're, we like to do those types of rentals, just really good neighborhoods in the suburbs, um, good appreciation, good tenants. Um, so that's kind of like the wealth part of the business, and then the wholesaling. Um, you know, our wholesales are usually kind of the bottom bottom part of the market. You know, I would say hundred and you know hundred fifty to two hundred thousand dollars homes and under. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we wholesale most of those. Well, let me ask you about your uh, your rentals. So the high end rentals. Uh, what made well like what? Why did you make that decision to go into high end rentals? And how are they performing for you? What's different about these versus the ones you had in the past? Yeah. So I would say it's mostly influenced by my mentor, who's also my hard money lender. So he's seven seventy five, maybe maybe older than that by now. Um, you know, has amassed so much wealth as a person would ever need. And, um, that's been his strategy over the years. Of course, he started out in doing small multi-units and duplexes and all that kind of stuff and the inner city, you know, stuff he could, he thought was the most profitable type of deal, right? Like we all think that this stuff is the best. Um, most people start out in the less than desirable areas. Uh, and he realized, of course, you know, as we've been talking, through this through this podcast, he realized that as time matters more than anything. And so he wanted to be in rental properties that were going to take the least amount of time possible. He also didn't want to uh, have a property management company managing his stuff because he knew that they would never take care of it as well as he would, and which is very true. Um, yeah. And he wanted, you know, the cash flow we get out of our real estate, it, it doesn't compare at all to the appreciation that we get out of the real estate. So the appreciation growth we get out of nice quality houses in the suburbs is going to so far outpace the inner city homes where, you know, like what that turns into, it's the same amount of time invested into each deal, right? On the front side, you fix it up, you buy it, you fix it up, same amount of time, but the end value of that nice quality suburb home versus that cheaper inner city home might be a difference of hundreds of thousands to millions over the course of, you know, several decades. Um, So same amount of work, massive difference in end value. So um, that's really what it comes down to. And then on top of that, it's also um, any type of business we're in, we have, we should be defining the ideal customer that we want to serve, that we want to do business with. And, you know, so I don't want to do business with people that don't want to pay their landlord. I don't want to do business with people that are going to be beating up the homes and like all the stuff that generally comes from a lower income. Generally, right? It's it's a it's a generalized statement, but it's true. Um, whereas you get people that have been previous homeowners that are professionals that can afford nice places that are generally again take pretty good care of their stuff. It's just how they've been trained. It's how they've been raised. It's the culture they live in. Um, so like, that's who I want to live in my homes. Um, Mm -hmm. but that type of person, like that's the person I want to deal with because I, for the most part, I don't hear from them other than maybe once a year. Like, you know, we might get called out for one tiny little repair and that's it. That's all we hear from them. They pay on time. Even through COVID, we didn't have one single person that we had to evict that didn't pay. 
Um, we, in fact, we had, we had one tenant at that time that they let us know, hey, we're going to be a couple weeks late. So we haven't had a, an eviction in years. We haven't had to go to court in years. Um, we haven't, we haven't even had a late payment in years. So, you know, like I've focused on finding the type of real estate that's going to be the most profitable for me, as well as finding the type of tenant that I want to work with that's going to be the easiest. Yeah. Mark, you're speaking my language, man. <laughs> Everything he just said, guys, is 100% true. Uh, rewind that back, re-listen to it again. He already been there, done that. He learned the game. That's why he's thinking the way he's thinking now. Um, and I'm there too. I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I'm, I'm thinking the same exact way. Um, now, for the people that are listening, though, I think they might not understand this. Well, higher price point, well, you're not cash flowing. Why would I do that? You know, well, how do you answer to that? Yeah, and it's true. Um, so, in fact, like I look at a few of the rentals I did uh, that I refinanced last year. I did like five rentals kind of towards the end of the year, and I had to feed a total of about one hundred fifty thousand dollars to make make that investment work. You know, between all the, all all of them. Um, but I look at it like this: when you when you start to understand wealth building. The money has to go somewhere. Otherwise, it's literally just sitting in sitting in an account, wasting wasting in uh, inflation, right? So it has to go somewhere. So when I'm doing when I'm doing my deals, you know, I guess we're not having anything to do with deals. But when I every single month, I'm putting off cash off to the side. I to me, I put it in a cash value life insurance policy, and whether we want to talk about it or not. But anyway, I put it in there. It builds, and then you know every few months, I've got six thousand dollars a month that goes in there, just like clockwork. And then I also take the cash, cash flow from my rentals and I always reinvest it. I never spend any of it. So I take that money and that goes into what I call the wealth account. So between those two pots, I pull from those pots and every few months I've got another $30,000 built up, you know, to where like then I can take it. I don't have to try to find a deal like most investors where they, they feel like they always need to do nobody, nobody down deals because they don't have any money or because they're doing these cheap pieces of junk that they can get with no money down. I want good quality real estate. So I'm okay taking cash, 30, 40, $50,000 and buying a really good quality home that is going to, you know, double in value in the next 20 years. So most of my houses, like the, the ones I just bought, I have a hundred thousand dollars plus equity walking into the deal. Um, you know, granted assisted with my down payment, but I've got good equity. That equity is going to be another hundred thousand, another five years, and probably another hundred thousand, another five years. So that, that equity just keeps growing and growing. So I'm looking, I look at my rentals as more of a future, you know, future wealth, as opposed to worrying all that much about the cash that comes out of them. So, but even still, when we look at the actual the actual total return on these on these deals, it's still good. Um, you know, my actual cash flow is still probably averaging somewhere around like a twelve percent cash on cash return. And then you start to factor in the depreciation, the appreciation, the principal paydown. I'm I'm sitting at a forty to fifty percent return. You know, it's just not. It might not be cash flowing for five hundred dollars a month, but I also don't have any headaches with it. So I would okay. gladly take one hundred and $80 a month with no headaches and a lot more future wealth that have $500 a month, tons of headaches and very little future wealth. Yeah. 
Love that. Love that. Um, well, Mark, we uh, we cover a lot of stuff, man, and I, I really enjoyed it because I think um, you you do a really good job of explaining it um, and actually talking in a way that I guess a novice and newbie investor can really digest information. And I see you posting all this stuff on Facebook, and you do a really good job at teaching. Um, so we're just over an hour here. Uh, I definitely want to do this again. I enjoy yeah. this conversation. Um, so tell uh, my listeners how they could find out more about you and what you do and uh, just basically give us an overview of everything that you're doing, how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it'd be best to find me on Facebook. That's my where I'm most active. So uh, uh, it's Mark Lane Education um, on Facebook or, or go to my website, marklaneeducation.com. We are going to have a book that's uh, going to be released in about a month, so that's that will be coming up for sale as well, and that's that covers lead generation in the entirety. So every aspect of lead generation. Um, in fact, I'd love to get back on here and talk about that because it's like we go mm -hmm. real super deep on that. Um, but yeah, the best best place to find me is either on Instagram or Facebook at Mark Lane Education, and then uh, yeah, get plugged in and be and love to help, love to offer more advice. Awesome. Well, I think we already have uh, our next topic <laughs> for our ne yeah. next time you come on lead generation. Yeah. Um, and you yeah. know what? That's an important one. A lot of people that that's where a lot of people struggle. They just can't or, or don't know how to get leads. And I mean, you know, it's, the, then, it's the most important because if we yeah. don't, if we can't figure out lead generation, we never will have access to the deals. So that's the lifeline of your business is leads. Yep. Yep. I saw you. I saw you post um, uh, Hermosi's book recently. Did you did you get through that yet? No, it, it just came in. Um, yeah, like I, I study marketing really hard, um, and I think it's helped me tremendously in my business. Like, because I, you know, a lot of people when they let's say they're going to be sending out direct mail, they're literally just following the directions of what somebody tells them to do. They don't understand anything about direct mail. They don't understand anything about marketing or messaging or any of that stuff or the list. So they don't understand how to tie all those pieces together. And yeah. which that's what my book on you know, more leads, more more profits, more deals is all about. It's tying tying all those different elements of uh, branding and your you know, your unique promise, and um, you know all the different lead generation, prospecting, networking, and marketing, which is every single lead source will fall into one of those three. So I would I would love to have I would love to have you back um, and and go over all those. I think my. Uh, especially my audience would really relate. And I know, I already know they want to hear this. So, um, all right, Mark. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for spending an hour with me. Thanks for giving me your knowledge and the people that are listening. I think they got so much value out of this. I'm definitely going to have you back. Um, so with that being said, guys, we're signing off. Yeah. Thank you.